This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled, Build Solid. This is the first message in the series, Keep It Together. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So, welcome to 12 Stone, and the first series for the new year, 2018. So glad that you're here. And some of you are here, or across the campuses, some of you are here to fulfill a promise, a promise you made last Monday night. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it was evidenced by our campus pastor at Flowery Branch, Josh Ivey, with one of the smartest, funniest posts on Instagram I'd ever seen. If you don't know what that is, I'll play it for you. But it got a shout-out because it got the attention of WSB Eric Erickson. He gave us a shout-out on Thursday. Anyhow, here's the post, and here's the audio. It'll make sense. Check it out. Now, a buddy of mine, by the way, sent me a picture from Instagram earlier today. Where is this? Yes. Um, this is from 12 Stone Church in Flowery Branch. It's something they put on Instagram. If you made any promises in overtime with the UGA logo on it, service starts at uh, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m., or 5 p.m. on Sunday up in Flowery Branch. Yes, there were a lot of people making promises to God that if UGA could just get through the overtime, that they would do all sorts of things. Well, now's your time to go reconcile you're not keeping your promises with Jesus himself. Come on now, that's just funny. That is just funny. Go dogs. And I, hey, listen, I want you to know how dedicated I am. I'm not casual about what's coming tomorrow night. So, out of my personal sacrifice, I'm going to be at the game and in the stadium so that I can pray them through to the trophy. I don't want to go. I don't want to go, but I got to go. And that's it. Get, see sacrifice right here, right here. Just, just my commitment to pray, to pray them through. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and the Falcons are making it happen. And, but we got work to do right now because I'm convinced that God will transform some dating relationships in this next month, some marriages. I mean, literally, he will transform your family if you will attend to him. See, we're all asking the question, as soon as you get in the reality of relationship, of dating or marriage and family, we're all asking, how do you keep it together? Because as soon as you do, as soon as you get in those kinds of relationships, you realize that there's a lot of pressure and they tend to fall apart. How do you keep it together? That's the lead question. And right off the top, I want to give you four things that keep family together. It's on the back of your teaching notes here across the campuses. Turn, turn your teaching notes over uh, and, and let's do a little bit of fill in the blank here. Number four is solve conflict. Say it with me. Solve what? Yeah, jot it down. Solve conflict. In other words, if you're going to keep it together, you're going to have to learn how to solve conflict. And every relationship has conflict. Every family has conflict. Nobody escapes this. When you're dating, you're already forming conflict resolution styles, for good or for bad. And you do that when you get married, and you do that in a family. By the way, do you know the three circles in which you need to solve conflict? Conflict within, conflict in marriage, and conflict in family. Keep listening. Therefore, did you know that the majority of conflict in family is unresolved conflict in the marriage? And that the majority of conflict in the marriage is unresolved conflict within. Oh, there's an art to conflict management. 
And as soon as I say it, you're like, oh, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, let, let, we need that. Talk, let, let's, let's do conflict resolution dialogue. Yeah, but, but we will, but we can't do that yet. Be, because we can't even get to solving conflict unless we first solve calendar. Say it with me. Unless we first solve what? Oh my goodness, how, how are you going to manage time? I mean, it, at the core of relationships working is this alignment on calendar and time. We all have a limited amount of it. How do you do life? Because there is, listen, there is no quality relationship, whether dating or marriage or family, without quality time. And under all the pressure, how do you do that? And as soon as I say that, you're like, oh yeah, 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 that's what I need. I get it, I get it, it resonates. Let's talk about how to solve calendar. But the truth of the matter is, we can't talk about that yet. <laughs> Because before you can solve calendar, you have to build something. And what you have to build is sacred. Say it with me. You have to build what? Sacred. Build sacred is one of the most overlooked secrets to keeping it together. Sacred means holy set apart. H-O-L-Y. Holy set apart. If I asked you right now, write down, what are the things that need to be sacred when you're dating, in marriage, in family? Do you know what they are? Oh, you might say, I I don't know. What are they? Tell us. Give us the, let's talk about this. And you know what? We can't even talk about building sacred. We can't talk about solve conflict, solve calendar, or, or, or build sacred until we go to the very first thing, and that is build solid. Build what, everybody? Solid. In fact, these are the four weeks of the series. We're, we're, we're going to talk build solid, and then from there you get to build sacred. And out of build sacred, you can solve calendar, and from there you solve problems. Because the truth of the matter is, if you can solve calendar, you solved over 50% of the conflict. But it begins with build solid. It begins with build what, everybody? Solid. Say it again, build what? Solid. And that brings us to the two chocolate bunnies. <laughs> now, I know it is not Easter, but... We have chocolate bunnies anyway. And these two chocolate bunnies obviously came from the same mold. So we're going to let them represent two distinct families or two distinct marriages or two distinct dating relationships. They're obviously similar in most every way. The question is, are they different? And how would we know? We won't know the differences between them until we apply pressure. Apply what? pressure because that's what life does. I mean, when you're dating or you're in marriage or particularly family, life provides pressure. That's what it does with job and finance and career and calendar and conflict. So let me just do this for a moment. Okay. So uh, let's go here. All right. Let me, all right. Never mind. That's nothing's changing. Okay. Apply pressure. Let me do it here. Oh, there we go. Uh, this one's hollow. <laughs> oh, that's the difference. This one's solid, and this one's hollow. Which means, I know you get it. I saw some of you whispering, oh, I know what he's going to do. <laughs> I know you get it, but let's talk about it. See, some families are solid. And some are hollow. And it shows under pressure. And some marriages are solid. And some marriages are hollow. And it shows and reveals itself under pressure. And some dating relationships are solid. 
and some are hollow. And people want me to talk first about all the practical stuff, like, why don't you give us some skill sets in how to solve conflict? Because that's, that's what we feel. Hear me. There is no skill training for how to solve conflict or manage calendar that can compensate for a hollow core. If you are not solid at the core, there's nothing we can do that can help you build solid. Nothing. At the core of your being is the substance. And by the way, it takes 75% more chocolate to build the solid bunny than it does the hollow bunny. And that's what happens in solid marriages and solid families. They spend 75% of their effort building from the inside because the inside is where all the pressure is. In fact, the majority of what builds a solid family, nobody ever sees on the outside. What are you building? Are you building solid? Or are you hollow? So now let's talk. How do you build solid? How do you actually do that? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me over to Colossians the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Here across the campus, says, grab your Bibles. Because God is, has some insight for us. And, and God's going to unpack for us an understanding of, of how to build solid. And by the way, when I, when I say God has insight for us, what I want you to know is, if you're going to build solid, then you're going to need to know from the Creator, how, how do you do that? And, and, and by the way, when I say grab your Bibles, I mean everybody. Because this is it. This, this is how you build solid. Maybe you're not used to grabbing a Bible and reading it and listening. But I'm going to guide you page 1182 and we're, we're going to walk into this book because because right here Paul is at the end of his uh, of his life he, he's very near the end of his life and as he's near the end of his life he's imprisoned in Rome and he's trying to help the church and here's what's going on the church Followers of Jesus Christ, restored to him through Jesus, the church has confusion. Now listen, they, they, have, they have all these truths about Jesus, what it means to be Christian, but then some false teachers have come along and they brought philosophy of the world into the church. And Paul, like a spiritual father, is trying to, to write and reset. And he begins with verse 3, we always thank God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Stop. Before he talks about the practical things of marriage and family and parenting and navigating conflict, which he'll do in chapter 3. Before he ever gets to what you would call the practical stuff, he deals with substance, the solid stuff. So verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope 
stored up for you in heaven. Oh my goodness, look again at verse four. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love, your faith and love. Look at verse five, the faith and love. Say it with me, the what? The faith and love. One more time, the what? Faith and love. Here we go. That's how you build solid. If you say, how do you build solid in life? How do you build a solid core? I'm telling you, your core has to be rooted in faith and love. If you can build faith and love at the core, you're solid. In fact, that's where he goes next. If you would build solid, which takes 75% more capacity, energy, and investment. It is the substance of life. That's what makes it capable, makes you capable of handling life under pressure. In fact, he goes on in verses 9 to 14. And he offers his prayer. It's a powerful prayer. Listen, it's the kind of prayer you should offer over over one another when you're dating. The kind of prayer you should offer over one another in your marriage. The kind of prayer parents should offer over their kids and family. It's a prayer you should have together. And then in verse 15, he says, the son is the image. Jesus, the son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, here we go, all things have been created through Jesus and for him. He, Jesus, verse 17, is before all things and in him all things hold together. You ready? Here's your first fill in the blank. On the teaching notes, build a Christ-centered family. You want to know how to build solid? The first thing you do is build a Christ-centered family. Build a what? Christ-centered family. What is a Christ-centered family? <laughs> Listen, Jesus is the center of all existence. Make him the center of your family. Look what it says. Three theological facts. Three truths. Jesus is the creator. Through him, all things were made. And they were made for him. That's the first thing. Second, he is before all things. He is first. He is the center. He is the what? Center. He's the creator. He's the center of all things. And then what does it say? And in him, all things hold together. That means from all of existence, Jesus holds everything. He's the invisible power that holds everything together. Right down to the atom. When we study it and science discovers that all matter made up of atoms and this, this, this invisible power that holds together the protons and the neutrons. That's Jesus. That's what God does. And he holds your family together. So let me say it again. Jesus is the center of, exi- of existence. Make him, make him the center of your family. He's preeminent. Now, now let me draw this out for us. Be- because many will say, well, I've made Jesus part of my family. And so here's what's at risk. In the family circle, I have, wait, okay, here's Kevin, here's Marsha, here's Josh, here's uh, our kids, four kids, Josh, Julissa, Jake, Jaden. And, and so many of us, we add Jesus to the family. There he is. Jesus is part of the family. We add him to it. Like Jesus is in the family for us. But he's not at the center. That's one way to do it. So many people say, oh, we've added Jesus to the family. But I'm telling you, if all you do is add Jesus to the family, it means everybody's competing for the center of attention. 
In fact, many times what we'll do is we'll just, we'll just give Jesus a chance to be at the center. We'll do that like maybe on Sunday. Jesus, it's your turn. You get to be at the center. How blessed are you? All right, service is over. Get, get back in your spot. Now the rest of us are going to compete for center. And that is a hollow. A what? A hollow way to live. What Paul is talking about is in your family circle, if this is Kevin and Marcia and Joshua and Julissa and Jake and Jaden, Jesus is the center. And that is the only way you can build solid. It's the only way you can build what? Solid. <laughs> See, Jesus being the center means that you do not have a self-centered family. Keep listening. Because if mankind is at the center, then all of us are going to battle to be at the center. And we spend our marriage or our dating or our family all fighting to be at the center. Because if Jesus ain't the center, all you have left is self-centered. And that'll undo and break apart every family, every marriage, every relationship, every dream of any dating life. You live that long enough and the pressure will prove you hollowed out your life and it'll fall apart. And then we say, oh, I'm going to go do that again. And we start another dating relationship on the same faulty principles of self-centeredness. And just repeat it until the next one breaks apart. There's only one solid way. Jesus is the center of existence. Make him the center of your family. In fact, if you don't have a purpose statement for your family, and many people don't, the very first thing you do in your family is you make Jesus the center. It is how you form a worldview. The, listen, the primary role of family is to build a worldview on the truth. What family does is gives the truth and creates the worldview, the way you look at the world. That is the first and last thing I do for my family and for my kids. And it's built on a solid truth that Jesus is the creator. All things through him, by him, and for him. Jesus is the center, and he holds all things together, which means he holds our family together. Meanwhile, this world is telling my kids that mankind is the center. And self-centered is the only way to live. And Paul's interrupting this. If you go right back to Scripture and we go on to chapter 2 where Paul is writing, I'll read it for you. Chapter 2, verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you, listen, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. Through what? Hollow. Through what? Hollow. He's talking chocolate bunnies. <laughs> it, listen, if he'd had chocolate bunnies, he would have used them. Because there are philosophies of this world that the moment you blend them with your Christianity, you hollow out your life. Because they're man-made, they're lies. And when you build your life on hollow things, under pressure, it falls apart. You can't hold it together. It's too thin. What are you building your life on? That's why he says, see to it that no one that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
See, in the time of Paul, there were false teachers who were telling them that Jesus is not the Son of God, divine, left heaven, came to earth, he's center of creation. No, Jesus is an emanation of God. He's not really who you says he is. In fact, you can keep Jesus in your world. Just, just, just make Jesus one of many kind of things out here. But he's certainly not the center. And Paul is correcting it and saying, you do that and it'll be hollow. You get your philosophies from the world. You get the center of your values from the world instead of Jesus and your life will be hollow and it'll prove out over time. No wonder our lives are falling apart the longer we live. In fact, in fact, I put it this way. What's at the center? I agree with you, whoever was over here. Listen. What's at the center of your family? Right now, have a really honest to God moment. Just you and God. What's at the center of your family? How much of the world's philosophy has infiltrated your thinking and decision making? Keep going. What do you believe about creation? Where did you get that? What is your belief about marriage and family? Where did you learn the roles of men and women in marriage? World philosophies or God's word? Based on Christ or based on culture? Where did you learn your ethics and morals? How did you learn to manage time and money? What's sacred? How do you treat each other? How do you raise kids? Who informed all of that? See, my kids are constantly being bombarded with a world that says this is a mankind, human-centered world, and therefore, you have to be self-centered to make your way in the world. Therefore, whatever you want, you do. What am I going to do with that? Now, my daughter's older, and, and she's pregnant. We're going to have our second child, and she's been married five years, and it's awesome, and she's due April 30th, and it's going to be a boy, by the way. We found out recently, all excited about that, so we're going to get our first boy grandchild. But if we take that all the way back to high school, what, what, what was coming at her in high school, if she had accepted, then our conversation would have sounded like this. Hey, Dad, you know everybody at high school, they're going to parties. They're drinking, they're getting drunk, and they're having sex. I mean, that's just what's happening in high school, Dad. And you know what? I've decided, I, I just, you know what? The parents, all the other kids' parents are just kind of laughing it off, saying, yeah, why not? Why not? Have at it. I was stupid when I was a kid. Why don't you be stupid? So, Dad, I'm just going to join them. What's going to be my response to that? Oh, you know what, Jewel? I'm so proud of you. If that's how you feel, you have at it. Because I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I had people do that when I was growing up. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. You, do it, you believe whatever you want to believe. So, listen, if you like the taste of alcohol, drink up. If you want to get drunk, have at it. Just, you know, if you feel if you, if that's really, make sure it's what you want to do. And then you go ahead and do it. And you want to have sex, have sex. Just make sure you love them. Make sure you love them. And your mom and I would be happy to clean up after the mistakes of your life and the regrets and the hollow life that's going to come as a result. We'd love to be a part of that. So just enjoy. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. You just believe anything you want. Is that really the conversation I'm going to have? Is that, is that, going, to, is that going to be my parental response? Are you kidding me? Well, how could I, listen, listen. How could I love my daughter and lead her into a life of lies? How could I do that? I'm going to have to have a conversation with her. I'm going to say, you've got to figure out what's at the center. We've been talking about this your whole life. What is at the center of the world? Because if your center is hollow, it will fall apart. Imagine my son, Jaden. He's in ninth grade now. If Jaden comes to me and says, Dad, listen, the world and education and high school and college and university, everybody's teaching evolution. 
And yes, they're obviously teaching it like it's a science rather than faith, when we all know it's more faith than science. They take so many leaps, they keep pretending and telling us that something can evolve from simple to complex, that somehow an eyeball can evolve out of simple things into the complexity of an eye and what it would take to operate in the body. And a vascular, you know, a, a vascular system, that, that, a cardiovascular system, that could develop out of nothing. Okay, Dad, I know it's nuts, I know, but you know what? That's kind of where the leading world is going. It's popular, and Dad, I'm going to keep calling myself a Christian. I'm just going to join popular because that's easier. What am I going to say? Oh, son, good for you. As long as you feel that, whatever you feel is therefore true for you, therefore it's true in life. Live out of it. No big deal. Really? That's how I'm going to, I'm not going to have an honest conversation with my son about what's the fact of what's at the center of the world because listen, it is not your faith that changes things. It's the fact. The fact is Jesus is the center. He created all things that was made through him, by him, and for him. He is first and above all things and before all things, he is therefore the center, and he holds all things together. And if you don't lean into the center that is truly the center, and you lean into a lie, your life will fall apart. Can you imagine? If my son starts believing and walking down the line where mankind's the center of the universe, where does it stop? No, stay with me. Where does it stop? Where does self-centeredness stop? The next conversation is going to be, you know what, Dad? I've been kind of looking at the world, and I don't like the way you do money in the house. So here's what I thought. I think I'm going to tap into your financial account and I'm going to take out whatever I want, whenever I want, for whatever I want. And I'm going to say, well, good for you because I taught you to be self-centered. That's a great self-centered thought. Have at it. Enjoy. And then he says, you know what, Dad? I've been looking around the house and I kind of don't... It just seems to me that that whole master bedroom thing you and mom got going on is a much better setup than what I have. So I've decided to move into the master bedroom and you and mom are going to move into my room. I'm like, good for you, son. Good call. That's a great way to live self-centered. Really? I'm going to support all this? I mean, I know I'm being ridiculous, but you tell me where is the end of self-centered if that becomes your way of doing life? If you're at the center of all things and it's going to build with you holding all things together, where is that life really going to go? No wonder it eventually falls apart. Because God is the center of all things. So I hope that I can build solid in my family. Because the first thing I'm there to do is to teach my kids that Jesus is the center. And talk it, walk it, live it so authentically that it's real in our family. And I hope they take that into their dating life. So it's the first conversation. By the way, if you're dating, it should be the first conversations. What's at the center of your life? Because whatever is at the core is going to be carried out for the rest of your life. When they get married, that has to be at the core, at the foundation of their marriage. When you build family, that's what you pass on. Now, ready? Let me say this. I'm going to be quite blunt. You can call yourself a Christian family and not be a Christ-centered family. Say it again. You can call yourself a Christian family, but not be a Christ-centered family. I know that because I grew up in one. My parents came to faith in Christ when I was three years old. They became part of the church, joined the church, served, gave. They were all part of the experience. And our family fell apart when I was in middle school. And it was an emotional hell for me. Now I was tempted to blame God and say, well, God, your truth doesn't even work. But God graciously whispered in the years that followed and said, it's not my truth that breaks down. It's that your family didn't follow the truth. Listen, the family I grew up in added Jesus to the family, but we never put him at the center. And you can call yourself a Christian family all day long. But if that means that Jesus is just kind of one of the family, 
and he's not the center from which you make all your decisions by his will, his way, and he's at the center and no self is at the center, then good luck because a Christian family where Jesus is not at the center is hollow and that family will fall apart. I don't care how Christian you call yourself if you don't actually live with him as the center. And immediately, some of you know what's broke. You know right now as I'm talking that you're in the midst of a family or a marriage or a dating relationship that is talking Christianity but not living Christ-centered. And that's got to change. And God wants it to change. And it can change. Today, you beginning to say, we have got to become Christ-centered in our dating or our marriage or our family. And when you do, God is freed up to hold all things together. The problem in the church is not that the power of God is weak and Jesus can't hold things together. It's that he's not placed at the center where he belongs so he can. And those marriages and families, he will hold together. And when he does that work, when you put him at the center where he already is, then the first thing that will be transformed is the way you treat each other. It's why the second point you're teaching is learn to love and be loved. Learn to love and be loved. Write it down. Learn to love and be loved. Listen, if I'm going to give you a purpose statement for your family, then the first purpose is to become a Christ-centered family, and the second purpose is to love and be loved. It's the faith and love. Remember we said at the beginning, how do you build solid? Faith and love. Here's the love part. This kind of the purpose statement. And by the way, the greatest love of all is not the love of self. That's the world. The greatest love of all is the love of God. And when the authentic love of God is understood by you and received by you, it will transform you from the inside out. And then you will be free to love yourself. But you love yourself in a way like you never could before because you are properly placed in your role in response to God. And when we say love, by the way, we don't mean the hollow definition of love that this world offers. We mean God's definition of love. And when you love like that, and when you are loved by God, and when you love God back, you are free to love one another. Listen, it takes it right back here. Solid love is centered in God so that when I love God properly because he loved me first, I now have Christ at the center, not me at the center, and I can love family members with the selflessness that is unequaled on earth, and that will hold it together because selfishness will tear everything apart. Now we're having a little bit of this fun kind of TGIF family sitcom series as part of this early 80s, early 90s theme into the keep it together teaching. And of course we all know that those sitcoms Resolve things in 22 minutes, first start of the problem, then resolve it, and that they exaggerated just to make a point. So Travis and the team worked on it a little bit, and they're going to give us our first iteration of, if you, if you will, episode one. So here you go, the Keep It family. Seriously, Mom, I don't understand why you're having Jason and Amy build lemonade stands. It's like the most childish thing ever. Well, maybe because they are children, Heather, and it's about time they learn the value of hard work and earning money. We don't all have a cushy job like you at Gadzooks. <laughs> all right, Mom, we're ready. What do you think? <gasps> Amy, I love it. You did an amazing job. Jason, 
Well, your sign is interesting. It has an indescribable charm about it. Yeah, Jason, your sign looks so charming. Not. <laughs> Shut up, Heather. Signs don't mean anything anyway. It's all in the salesmanship. And that's why I'm gonna make more money than Amy. It could be salesmanship. Or it could be all about fresh quality ingredients delivered with impeccable service. <laughs> or salesmanship. I guess we'll find out. Okay, kids. I put the lemonade that each of you made onto the two tables outside. Now all you have to do is set up your signs and it's off to the races. Now, don't forget, whoever makes the most money gets to remain a part of this family. The other one is out on the streets. Aha, uh -huh, very funny, Dad. <gasps> well, good luck, you two. All right, go get them. Wow, now that is what I call a lemonade stand, Amy. How'd it go, guys? Amazing. With my 80% profit margin, I made net sales of $21.50. That is awesome. <laughs> How about you, Jason? I made 85 cents. <sighs> but I'm pretty sure these two nickels are Canadian. So with current exchange rates, you made 83 cents. I guess I won. You certainly did, sweetheart. Honey, she had a line five deep for like an hour. Yeah. She was offering referral bonuses. <gasps> I also think it was due to my choice of adding strawberry juice to the lemonade. With just a hint of fresh mint, I find that it opens up the sinuses for a more intellectually satisfying bouquet of flavors. I mean, dang. <laughs> Amy, I'm so proud of you. I mean, honestly, I knew you were going to do well, but I didn't expect this well. Come on, Zig Ziglar. Let's go draw out plans for your new business. Oh, let's do that. <laughs> The other one is out on the streets. Well, I guess we'll be going now. Good luck in that cruel, cruel world out there. If only you've been rich and successful like your sister Amy here, the lemonade entrepreneur. <laughs> or a beautiful Gadzooks t-shirt model like your sister Heather. You see, we can't have some good-for-nothing sponging off of us for the rest of his life. You lost that lemonade contest fair and square. Now it's time to hit the road. We'll miss you. Not. <laughs> I really like to hang in Canada. All right, family life with canned lines and canned laughter. And that's obviously not real life. However, what is true is that all families have tension. All families have conflict. So how do you navigate that? What has to be at the core? The family is where you learn to love and be loved. And let me say it as practically as I can, or how it's translated into our family at least. That means we don't push each other down, we pull each other up. Write it down or somehow lock it in your head. Figure out how is that going to translate in your family. We do not push each other down, we pull each other up. It's just, a, it's just at the core of our being as a family. When you go out in the world, there's enough people going to push you down. Family is the group that pulls you up. Which means that that lemonade stand would never stand in our house. We would never, we would never do it that way. I don't think you would either. That's exaggerated, it's ridiculous, but here's my point. We don't pit each other against each other. We don't pit one against the other. Listen, we don't elevate one's strength and diminish someone else in their weakness. Oh, we're honest about our differences. 
And there are differences in our family. And we'll acknowledge them. Jake, for example, he's different. He's number three. He's 23 years old. And, and he's like about six foot two in height. Jaden, number four, he's unique. It looks like he got his dad's height gift. And he might make it to five foot eight. Now, Jaden and I do not make fun of, and we are not mean toward Jake just because he's 6'2", and he wasn't given the perfect God height. We're not mean to him about that. We don't go after him. We don't want to push against him. We don't undo him. We don't mock him. We don't push him down a pit against him. It's not his fault. Jesus was probably 5'8", when he walked the earth. It's not Jake's fault that he's over that, and he's in an uncomfortable height. When I trip over his shoes in the living room, and I say, dude, we should put these on the car. Two canoes, throw some paddles, and the family can go canoeing for the afternoon. (laughs) And when I'm teasing him like that, I'm just having fun. But listen, listen carefully. You can only tease when your family is swimming in an ocean of love. Keep listening. You cannot even risk teasing in a family that has not already conquered love and affection for each other. Because teasing can only be done out of affection. You can't play jokes, do sarcasm, and do teasing out of anything other than affection. It is not to cut, it is not to demean, it is not to diminish. See, the most dominant words in the family should be, I love you. I lo- Listen, I love you. Those words should be the most spoken words in your house between one another. And I love you should be the most unspoken actions in your house. In fact, while we're on the subject, the best way I love my kids is to love their mom. Listen, I'm not looking for a response because I know I'm about to make things uncomfortable. I know it's difficult. I know it's easy to say we love each other. But I figured out coming through divorce, family, that the best way my dad could have loved me was to love my mom. The best way for Marcia to say she loves the kids is to love their dad. I know there's divorce, I know there's blended family, I know there's stress, I know there's single family, I know there's baggage, I know there's hurt. But listen, even Jesus said, love your enemies. (laughs) So you gotta figure that out. By the way, an affair is not loving your kids. That's self-centered. And when self is at the center, It'll eventually prove hollow and fall apart. I know, I know. These are complicated conversations. I remember when I was in 10th, 11th grade, and my dad, with whom I'd already been estranged, and it was already several years after the divorce, we had a moment, and he said, Son, you know I love you. What I was really saying in my head is, No, you don't. I know you don't. In my head, I said, I know you don't. Dad, you love yourself. 
because you always put yourself ahead of the family. For the last 10 years, our family has paid for your sins instead of you paying for ours. Let me just have a moment with dads. I'm not judging my dad, I can't. I, I got married and I figured out it was difficult and family's difficult. Listen, we can learn something from our Heavenly Father who is selfless and sacrificing for the sake of us. And that's what men do to build family. So let me talk to men for a moment. Our role is to be selfless and sacrificing. And when dads are selfless and sacrificing, families are blessed and they can build. And that means dads take the hits all the time, quietly, consistently, and never hardly talk about it. See, this is a moment to say, men, man up, step up. If you're a wannabe dad someday and you're just dating, step up in that dating relationship because you're forming it. If you're married, step up to man. Selfless sacrificing. If you've got kids, step up. Oh, and by the way, to women, to wives, to moms, it's the same thing. Marsha paid no less a selfless and sacrificing role in order for us to have substance and be solid in family. See, the first role of family is to be Christ-centered and then to learn to love and be loved. So what do you practically do? Let me wrap this up. What do you do? Well, you make a decision right now, personally, to no longer be a person who puts themselves at the center. You put Jesus at the center. Even if you call yourself Christian, you say, no, I got to do better. It's got to be Jesus at the center. Make that decision personally. Maybe if you're in a dating relationship, you go talk about it this week. Maybe if you're married, you go talk about it. You sit down, you say, you know what? Do we really have Jesus at the center? Or are we just calling ourselves Christian? Many of us have never had that conversation. This is the beginning of it. This will be a major breakthrough. Maybe you sit down as a family and say, you know what, as a family, have we, which one are we? Do, do we struggle more over here? Do we tend to be more hollow than solid? What does it mean for us as a family to move this way? Because what we got to begin with is build solid. That'll be major. Go do that. That's your practical homework. And in addition to that, pray for each other. Literally pray. Jesus, ask him, Jesus, hold us together. In Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14, Paul was praying spiritual substance over the church. Pray it over each other as a couple, as dating, in marriage, in family. The most practical things you can do. As I turn the service over to the campus pastors, there's one final question that sits at the bottom of your notes. Is this a Christ-centered, solid decision or a self-centered, hollow decision? Every time you make a decision, ask yourself, is this a Christ-centered, solid decision or a self-centered, hollow decision? See, build solid is where you start. Right here, build solid. And when you build solid and Christ is at the core and the core is solid, then you can add build sacred. And that's where we'll pick up next week. So bow your heads with me, would you? I want to pray for you. And I want to pray Colossians 1, 9 to 14 over your dating life over your marriage, over your family. Maybe you're a single mom and, and you're saying, I, I, I gotta go put Christ at the center. Maybe you're in a blended family. You're like, there's complexity here. We're figuring out how to do this. Maybe you're, you're in anything but a perfect family and you say, well, we're Christian, but I don't know how to get Christ at the center and I don't know how to love and this thing has been disappointing and we've cycled in this and we've struggled with this. Well, then stay in it because Christ holds all things together if you'll keep him at the center. So let me pray for you. I ask... Father, I ask that you would do 
for each dating, relationship, marriage, family, that you would do the very thing Paul asked you to do for the church in Colossians. So here's my prayer over you, church. I'm gonna read it from that scripture. I ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So God, I ask that you would do that. This week, it's gonna be a major breakthrough and it'll take great courage for some men and women to settle in their soul, you gotta be at the center. Right now, some families are acknowledging that they're lean morning to the hollow side than the solid side, and they're calling themselves Christian, but you're not at the center, and they're aware of it. They're not even sure how to get there. God, would you let this be the beginning of courageous conversations at home? Just the decision to say Christ would be at the center would be a breakthrough for many of us. For those of us who feel the weight and the complexity, the discouragement and the uncertainty, for those of us who think that divorce is the only option in 2018, for those of us who are just uncertain how to do our part in this, God, would you walk alongside us and would you help us to begin to build solid at a level we never have before? Would you literally transform us in this season and hold things together that we under pressure never could? Be as mighty in your invisible power as we know you to be. And help us walk well with you. In Christ's name, and everyone agreed saying, amen.